It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman. Joining me as always, Mr. LA Times, Kevin Baxter, coming to you on Monday, March 12th. 2018, the LA Galaxy, of course, playing a Sunday game. They lose 2-1 to to New York City FC. A horrible first half, a better second half, but not enough to get the victory. All sorts of crazy stuff in this game. We got two yellow cards that equal a red on Ashley Cole. We have injuries, and uh, the injury list continues to grow as well. Uh, now that the Galaxy sort of enter a little bit of some off time here, uh, maybe there's a chance to get some people healthy. But we're going to have to talk it all out, so uh, let's check in with our intrepid reporter, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, thanks, buddy. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I got the starting lineup from Sunday's game right here, and you know what's interesting? As I'm looking at the Galaxy um, going through the line, Sebastian Legette started. Where did you, where did, <laughs> you who would have thought? Oh, yeah, I thought that. You were not allowed predict, to claim. I predicted that. You were not allowed to claim that before we knew Chris Pontius was going to be out for sure. That's a total, even I agreed on the Thursday show that Sebastian Legette was going to start when Chris Pontius wasn't going to play. That was, that was, that was obvious. This is, I love everybody. You're the same as the people on Twitter, Kevin. This is all I ever get. See, I told you so. Oh, really? Did you tell me like way back when, and it was just sort of a wild ass yes? Yes, yes I did. Yes. I, I told you before Pontius was hurt. So I, for the rest of the show, I think you need to call me Nostradamus. No, Mr. no. Sir, sir, Mr. Nostradamus. That's my name I'll now. I'll call you no Stradamus. That's what I will call you. Exactly. All right. Um, yeah. No, you were right. It was good. Hey, 359 days, by the way, between his starts, just in case you wanted to play a little little fun with numbers there. Uh, it's, a, it's a really great story. I actually thought that he played way longer than I expected him to. I think about 71 or 72 minutes in this game. So, uh, he played well, Kevin. I was, I was impressed. You could tell he's, he's not a hundred percent, uh, game fit, uh, but the foot didn't seem to bother him. And he got chopped down enough by New York city defenders, uh, that, uh, you would have thought that somebody would have picked up a yellow card for hacking him, but apparently then no, he's fine. So no problems there. Uh, but I, the, I, I, yeah. I don't think Ziggy wanted to go that far. I think if the game had gone differently, I mean, he had, he had geo hobbling around and he didn't have a lot of depth on the bench with Pontius out. Um, I don't think Ziggy wanted to go that long, and and I think Seba was really uh, huffing and puffing at the end. But he did look good for most of that 71 minutes. You're right. Yeah, not not too bad. Uh, starting lineup for the LA Galaxy: uh, David Bingham in goal, of course. Uh, you had Ashley Cole on the left, Jorgen Schelvik uh, at center back, Michael Ciani at center back, uh, Rolf Felcher out at right back, Perry Kitchen and Jonathan Dos Santos playing your two. We're going to call them defensive midfielder roles, but Jonathan Dos Santos obviously gets forward. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, Giovanni Dos Santos in the central attacking midfielder role, kind of almost maybe as they have it listed. Uh, Emmanuel Boateng out on the left wing, Sebastian Leget on the right wing, and Mister Ola Kamara up there at the very, very top of the formation. That's the way they started, but they didn't stay that way for very long. <laughs> no. Yeah, already. I mean, you talk about crazy things that have happened. Let's talk about this crazy road trip, Kevin, because this is not a normal road trip. This is not a, a road trip where you sit there and go, oh, yeah, you know, the Galaxy, they they were fine. This Everything happened. Travel was perfect. No, it wasn't. They, they got away without any injuries. No, they didn't. They had to basically make two first-half subs. Yes, they did. Uh, you know, you already had injuries coming into this. This was, this was not a fun road trip for them, Kevin. No, and the the parallels, I mean, as I wrote on Sunday, 
last year they were just decimated with injuries and they had to really test their depth. They're ahead of last year's pace. There was a time in midsummer, it was the start of July, where they were missing nine players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a combination of a lot of things, injury, international duty, and suspensions. They were missing nine players. That was in the middle of the summer. Right now I have them, if the Ashley Cole double yellow stands – They potentially, I know they have two weeks to get healthy, but they potentially for the next game could be missing Ashley Cole. I think Roman Alessandrini doesn't play because it's a carpet and why why push it? Right. Siani doesn't look like he's going to be back that soon. Jao Pedro's definitely out, I would guess. Pontius could be out. Jamison is definitely out. And then Jonathan and Gio, whether Gio's hurt or not, if he's not hurt, he's probably going to be off with Mexico. And so would Jonathan. So that, by my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players unavailable for the Vancouver game. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, just, just on the face of it, that's crazy. And those are, with the exception of Pontius, well, and, and I guess Pedro. So, uh-huh. so uh, you know, a number of those guys starters, at least five of them uh, have been starters. So, uh, and, and the other guys are key players. When you look at the depth being so important to this team, already we're two games in. Right, and and they're already where they were in the middle of the summer last year, as far as injuries go. Yeah, I have a uh, I have six actual injuries on this one, Kevin. Six guys who are down um, because of injuries. As I think you listed off uh, all of them, but yeah, Jameson with the concussion, Pedro with a hamstring, Alison Drini with a hamstring, Pontius with a knock of some sort. Somebody asked me what a knock was today on Twitter, and I'm like, well, um. That's a fun thing to define. It's sort of when a guy either it's usually caused by another player. That's usually a knock, right? It's not it's somebody kicked me, somebody stepped on me, somebody cleated me, somebody punched me, any of those things that sort of make you sore and not be able to do things. That's that's a knock in my opinion. I don't think you can just be running and like have your hamstring tighten up and that's not a knock. That's that Well, it it, it comes from the old thing when say, well, what's the knock on that guy? Okay. That's where that's where it comes. Does from. it really, or or are you making this up? Because you have no, me full. I'm pretty sure I'm making that up. Okay, okay. I just wanted to. Yeah, I, you you had me drawn in there for a second. But I was I was going to believe it, you. It works. It works. It does. Of Say, course. what's the knock on Pontius? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. All right. So anyway, so Pontius with the knock, uh, Siani with a hip flexor, and Giovanni dos Santos with a hamstring. I I put this out on Twitter and gave the six players in total that have uh, have injuries, and people quickly picked up that three of those injuries are hamstring injuries, and of course everybody wanted to know which conspiracy it was somebody asked you know what was siggy doing to these guys that they had a hamstrings and i said that he was siggy beats the guys with wooden bats that's basically what it is that's how he gets them to perform kevin well this is it's really actually very important the injuries hamstrings are among the toughest things to rehab because it, it when a hamstring is 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 strained if it's torn forget it if it's strained even then, it rarely comes back at 100%. You're never the same player that you were before. You can get very, very close, and it may be indiscernible. But uh, it takes a long time because you can think that you're 100%, and then all of a sudden you have to make a quick move, whether it's a sprint or, or a cut, and it comes back again. And it you know it, it just seems to never go. And the, the hip pointer that Siani has, too, those are injuries that tend to linger for a long time. I mean, it's one thing if a guy sprains an ankle or uh, bruises a knee – it, it, those are pretty simple, it seems to me, unless it's a like a you know a, a real high grade ankle ankle turn. Uh, those guys can be back pretty quickly. These things, my sense is that this is going to linger for a long time, and that's why I think Ziggy's going to have to be very careful. Yes, I know he has two weeks, but he's going to go up to Vancouver. It's probably going to be cold, and he's going to play on a carpet. And and there's two strikes against guys with leg injuries. It's not going to be that cold because it is inside. I mean, I imagine they're going to keep it at like, you know, 65, 68 degrees. 
So, I mean, I think that's a little bit better. But I, I get to what you're saying. You make a valid point is that, you know, my whole my whole argument about the uh, about the carpet there is really that you don't want to be involved. If you have any type of in- injury running on that carpet, granted, it got replaced uh, uh, not too long ago, I think a season or two ago. So that was a good thing. But even whenever you look at it, it it's not the kindest place to be running if you have any sort of injury. So, you, like you said, uh, with a Roman Alessandrini, I think if the best case scenario is that, Kevin, you'll get him for maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes at the end of a game if you're going to play him at all. Um, and like you said, maybe being more cautious, that's a that's a better idea. Now, they still have some time. The LA Galaxy do not face off against the Vancouver Whitecaps until uh, March 24th. So there's some time. The weekend is off, all right? The Galaxy will not be playing this weekend. They have it off. Uh, I believe most of the MLS has it off, Kevin, but there's some games that are playing. I get it's a pseudo like international break. Uh, but the Galaxy will be playing actually during that international break as well because uh, there are other international games. And like you were saying, uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, and if he's healthy, uh, uh, excuse me, Giovanni Dos Santos, if he's healthy, and Jonathan Dos Santos uh, most likely will be gone for at least two games. And I think you had the dates on those Mexico games, right? Yeah, the, the Mexico games will be the 23rd and the 27th. So it's a, a Friday and a Tuesday they're both close to L.A., uh, the one in Santa Clara and the other one in San Antonio. So there's not a lot of great travel involved. But certainly players will be away from the team a few days ahead of that. They, uh, If Gio and, and Jonathan are both called up, and I think Gio's a real doubt right now with the injury, they would be gone all of next week and then the first half of the following week. So um, that's a, a statutory amount of time away from the team. They would clearly not be available to play on the 24th because they're playing for Mexico on the 23rd and would remain in camp with Mexico. Um, th- by the way, the fact that, I don't know how many people have noticed this, the fact that MLS now has 23 teams means that uh, not every team is going to play every weekend. And there are some weird schedule things that uh, fans are going to notice going forward. For example, LAFC, they have three weeks off because their international break is combined with a bye week. The Galaxy will have some extra time off in June. Uh, I think the World Cup break combined with their bye week. So there are times in the schedule when teams are going to have a lot of time off, and then just to get in all the games, there are other times when they're going to be playing twice a week. Yeah, I'm sure it doesn't make Galaxy fans feel any better that uh, the their main rival will basically have a, an extra week to get prepared. I know the Galaxy would certainly like to have that extra week right now with all the injuries that they have. Um, so whenever they play LAFC on March 31st, uh, just remember that uh, Jonathan and Gio, if they do go away with Mexico, will not be back with the club until the 28th of March or the 29th of March, that Thursday, before that Saturday, March 31st game. So there's there's some some interesting storylines already headed that way, and certainly some interesting storylines heading into Vancouver. But just that way you're aware, again, the Galaxy do not play on the 17th or 18th of March. They do have some time off, so some of these injuries could have a possibility of coming back and being ready. Uh, maybe Chris Pontius is one of those. Maybe Joao Pedro is one of those. Um, and so you're going to start seeing as those develop. Um, and as we get closer to Vancouver, maybe some of these guys uh, bouncing back. But, Kevin, we go back to uh, the 2-1 loss for the Galaxy. Uh, for me, it was a tale of two halves. Um, the first half was uh, the Galaxy looking like traffic cones for the most part, uh, and then in the second half with some adjustments and, quite honestly, with Giovanni Dos Santos on the bench, uh, the LA Galaxy finally found some comfort, some possession, and some space 
in the second half, Jonathan Dos Santos gets a goal to sort of pull him back. It was two to one. That scoreline flatters the Galaxy for me, Kevin. It could have easily been three to one or four to one for New York City. Um, and the Galaxy had one really good chance from Ola Kamara that possibly could have gone in the back of the net, uh, but was a great play between Sebastian Legette and Ola Kamara. So you look at all that. So 4-2, 4-1 is probably a, a more fair score in this game. But I really enjoyed the adjustments and the play in the second half from the Galaxy. I thought they played better up until the, the double yellow cards for, uh, for Ashley Cole. Um, I thought that they were more dangerous uh, in the second half. And, and quite honestly, it's good to see that there are adjustments being made at halftime, uh, and, and Siggy Schmidt talked about it after the game, but there's adjustments being made at halftime that are having an effect on that second-half score. So that's, I, I think that's good. I, I think that's a positive that you can take away from this game. Yeah, Ziggy did talk afterwards about how he thought the team had started really slow and that he, and that he blamed himself for that. He put that on himself and then tried to correct that with some of the halftime adjustments. But, um, you know, you look at the scoreline. They won the first game by a goal, lost the second game by a goal. Um, but if you look at the numbers, if you go beyond just the scoreline into the numbers, the Galaxy, you know, I'm sorry to say, the Galaxy have really been dominated in these two games. If you look at possession in the Portland game, uh, Portland led in possession uh, about 55% to 45%. New York, it was even bigger. New York had 61% possession in that game. If you look at shots on goal in two games, just the shots in, in total, Galaxy went out shot 35 to 21. Shots on goal, it's even bigger. It's two, uh, more than two to one. 14 shots on goal for the opposition, just six for the Galaxy. So, you know, the Galaxy are one and one, and uh, the goal differential is zero at this point, but the games have not been, uh, you know, when you look at the, the goal differential being a draw, the games have not been a draw. The Galaxy have been outplayed both games. Well, I mean, they've been outpossessed. I don't know that they've been out. They, I think that they played pretty well against Portland, but I still think that Portland probably missed some chances there and, and could have scored uh, more goals than they did. So I, I give you a little bit of that. I'll, t- I'll tell you the trend in these opening games for MLS is that the team with the most possession has been losing games. Uh, in, until I think either LAFC, I don't even know if LAFC against RSL, but certainly this New York City game, that was one of the few outliers of a team having possession and winning the game. So MLS has turned into quite a little counterattacking league, and that's nothing new. That's been happening over probably the last two or three years, uh, maybe even longer than that, because I'm trying to, the last real possession-based team that I can remember that had a ton of success I want to say was the 2011 LA Galaxy who dominated possession and dominated games on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a, a weird sort of you know conundrum within the league is that the teams with the most possession, especially I think at the beginning of the years, but the teams with the most possession are not winning games. So interesting that it, that in the New York City game that flipped. I will say, Kevin, um, the more I've seen games on that on that field and granted I don't watch New York City a lot because um one I can't stand the field uh so whenever the Galaxy play and I'm forced to watch it but playing on that field is just such a joke to me and I I know why MLS did it I know why MLS got this team in to New York it makes a hundred percent sense in in business terms for me Kevin but just by the way it looks that's a horrible horrible game to watch that's pinball with that many bodies that close to each other. Yeah, it's kind of like indoor soccer. But and, and what's really strange is, you know, Don Garber, the commissioner of MLS, has made a big point of teams having a stadium before they open. He doesn't like this idea of not having a permanent home. It happened with the Galaxy, the StubHub Center. They played, I don't know, the first two or three months on the road in, in, in the first season of StubHub Center. Uh, and you have, you know, LAFC, even though their stadium is almost done, they, they got to play their first six games on the road. 
a lot of other teams have played longer. Orlando City had to have a stadium deal in place, even though the stadium wasn't built. Miami can't get the go-ahead until its stadium deal is in place. Yet here's New York City FC, the team in the largest city in the country, in you know the commissioner's backyard, a, a team that they wanted uh, to be one of the flagships of the league. Not only did they launch it without a stadium, there is no stadium plan. There is, at this point, as far as I know, there is nothing in the works. This this could go on forever. There's nothing that would stop them from not playing at Yankee Stadium for the rest of their lives. Now, imagine that uh, and New York City FC is really good. They're unbeaten this year. Imagine that MLS Cup final is played on that field. They have to move that, right? They cannot play there at that field. Just, just to give people, and Kevin, you gave me this, these numbers, so I want to give you the proper credit for it. But but StubHub Center, everybody knows, StubHub Center is one of the larger fields in the league. It is. It is the largest. It's it, tied for the largest. Okay, tied for the largest. 75 yards by 120 yards, okay? And that 120 yards is is pretty large. And the 75 yards wide is really good. And and people are used to the way that looks. And that's why Galaxy games are, are tend to be open um, and there's lots of room to run. You go over, again, 75 by 120 at StubHub Center, 68 by 106 at Yankee Stadium. That's why a goal kick can almost be scored on, okay? This is, it's it's 16,000 square feet smaller than People StubHub Center. People have scored on throw-ins. Uh, the throw-in doesn't go in. I mean, but the throw-in goes into the middle of the, of the, of the, of the box and yep. then it's headed in. So a, a throw-in becomes a corner kick. Can I, to give people a visual, this was my funny visual that I came up with. 16,000 square feet, Kevin. If you had a 4,000 square foot home, it would have to be four stories to equal 16,000 square feet. All right? Or if, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're building a mansion, 10,000 square feet on the bottom floor. All right, and then that second floor is six thousand square feet because you need room for extracurricular activities downstairs. That's yeah, that's kind of like the, that's the size, isn't it? The corner of the Galaxy um, uh, National Headquarters. National Head, of course, exactly. Actually, it's a little bit bigger than that, but yeah, you know, five stories instead of four. Um, but no, I mean, it's a huge amount of space, and it just people. I, and I went on a New York City podcast, and and I know the guys there were sort of talking about how you know it it doesn't benefit either team, and um. I, that's BS. It, it totally benefits one team um, because somebody's used to playing on it. If you go there and see the sight lines, and I've talked to players about playing at Yankee Stadium, they're saying the sight lines are weird. The field is at an angle, so it doesn't even feel right whenever you're just trying to get your surroundings around you. So to see the Galaxy struggle in the first half, Kevin, isn't surprising at all for me. Um, they had to get used to the, the colder weather. It was it was pretty chilly. Um, they had to get to, used to the, to the futsal-sized stadium um, somebody joked that uh, the the LA Galaxy and New York City FC could have played at center court at Staples Center, all right, but that court is probably too big. All right, well, and and like you're right, the angle. David Bingham mentioned that it's just laid out at a very bizarre angle, um, and it just you're right when the players take the field, it's like something's wrong here. This doesn't look right. And it's I love there's there seems to be this this anger, Kevin, over giving what people deem as excuses. Right? Like, you can never give an excuse. Excuses are not allowed. But what people do all the time is they give excuses and then say, this isn't an excuse, right? This is not an excuse. 
excuses are reasons for things. All right, you need to look into those. You need to see those. If the player tells you that the field is weird and wonky, and by the way, I got told by a player as well that the turf, that the grass that was there was horrible as well. So not only did you have a small ping pong sized table that you played soccer on, you also had horrible turf in the outfield at Yankee Stadium. Uh, it was choppy and hard and all these other things. So it just, it wasn't a fun place. Plus you add in the travel that goes all the way across there, Kevin. And they even had a a an interesting flight over to New York as well. You 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 have t- all that information. You should tell that yeah, story. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you about that. But also, uh, adding to the field problems, is also some of the field actually runs over the infield at Yankee Stadium where they put down, I guess it's temporary grass. Yeah. So that grass is not rooted into the ground. And so you go from the hard outfield to the very soft and pliable infield area. Um, it, there's a million and one reasons why it doesn't work. Uh, corner kicks come in that much faster because you're so much closer um, if you're a team like the Galaxy that likes to play wide, you don't, you're not able to do that. If you're a defensive team, you hunker down because everything's forced into the middle. You can't go wide on a field that small. So anyway, um, the field, like you, like you said, people talk about excuses. Um, uh, in, in this case, it's not an excuse. As you said, it's a reason. It's a reason why things uh, may have went the way they did. But you talk about the Galaxy flight. They, they were on a flight, American Airlines flight number two, as it turns out, um, from – LAX to New York City is supposed to get in at 4:46, which would be great. Get out of you know they fly commercial. Remember, they, there's no charters involved, so they need to go to the luggage carousel just like you and me. Well, not you. You have your butler with you, but the rest of us go to the luggage carousel and get our luggage and take the bus to the hotel. <clears throat> so 4:46 was a pretty good time. They'd get to the hotel maybe around six, 6:30, have a team meal, a meeting. Uh, everything's great. Except uh, an hour into the flight, they left at 9 a.m. from LAX. An hour into the flight, they were over Utah when uh, one of the Galaxy coaches noticed the woman next to him had fallen asleep and kept her head kept landing on his shoulder. And he thought that was kind of strange. And so finally he tried to wake her up and she was unresponsive. He called the stewardess. Um, she announced that it was a code red, which is an uh, airline term, I guess a term anywhere for medical emergency. And two of the Galaxy trainers, uh, Ivan Pierre and, and Cesar Roldan, sort of leapt into action there, got the woman laid down in the aisle, laid her down. She was unresponsive. She did not have a pulse. So unless uh, and, and unless she had a very weak pulse that wasn't able to be uh, um, noticed you know, by, by hand, she was clinically dead, I suppose, at that point. They leapt into action. Um, turned out there was a doctor in the flight. In fact, she was the she's an OBGYN, and she's the uh, chief medical expert for ABC News. She just happened to be on the plane sitting in first class. She rushed back to help, and it took them a half hour to revive this woman as the plane turned back from Utah and landed uh, back in Las Vegas, made an emergency landing. By the time the plane landed, the woman, they had been working on her for almost an hour. The woman was conscious. She was she's a pregnant woman, too, so we're talking about two lives. She had uh, regained consciousness. She was okay. The, the first responders there from the uh, Las Vegas Airport Fire Department met her, took her to a hospital. We don't know whatever happened to the woman, or at least I don't. I tried to find out from the airport and from American Airlines, and they wouldn't even tell me which hospital she was taken to. All they would say is that she was conscious, alert, responsive when she left the hospital or left the airport in the ambulance. So you can actually credit two Galaxy trainers, especially Ivan with uh, saving this woman's life and, and presumably saving the life of the baby as well. Um, and I asked Ivan about that afterwards, and I said, that you know, that's an incredible experience. I mean, your medical training, you're just not working on hamstrings, which, by the way, he's working on a lot of hamstrings now. But my point was, you just don't work on hamstrings and 
and twisted ankles, you, you've saved a life. And he told me that this was the sixth person with a medical emergency that he's attended to on an airplane. And, and I, I was a little unclear on whether that meant he had saved six people's lives or whether these were other maybe uh, less dire circumstances, but six times he's had to respond to people on an airplane that were having medical emergency. If you see Ivan Piera on your plane, you might want to get off because it's probably <laughs> not going to be a good experience. So anyway, they spent 90 minutes on the ground in Las Vegas. He had to get the woman off. No one left the plane. Um, the plane had to refuel, was there for an extra 90 minutes, and then and then took off again back to New York. Didn't land until 8 o'clock, so uh, um, actually, I think they were supposed to land at 5.46, but in any case, it was over two hours late, and uh, they didn't land until 8, didn't get to the hotel until 10, um, so it, the trip got off to a bad start, and, and obviously, I'm sure anyone in the galaxy, again, they're not going to use this as, as an excuse or a reason. There was a much more uh, important matter with this woman's health involved, but uh, I think everyone can agree, even the woman involved, that this did not make for the ideal start to the road trip for the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little sidetrack. And I, by the way, Kevin, I refute your. If Ivan's on your plane, that's a bad. You might want to get off. I think if Ivan's on your plane, you can sleep well knowing that's, that, that he's point. there. <laughs> He but might. you know something's going to happen. That's yeah. the point. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting flight for sure. All right. No, but I mean, yeah, it, it certainly was an interesting thing uh, that that sort of started that whole trip. We've talked about it, and I don't know if it's on this podcast, Kevin, or our Thursday nights or however it is, but anytime the Galaxy travel all the way across to the country, results tend to not be in their favor. All right? It's just the traveling alone going that far across three time zones is never a for sure easy thing uh, to, to have happen and, and to get done. So, I mean, for me, uh, and, and I think I did a pretty good job of this on Thursday, was, uh, you know, I said, I, I think it would be very difficult for the Galaxy to win this game. You knew you didn't have Ramon Alessandrini. Uh, you know, you knew you didn't have uh, Chris Pontius on Thursday, so we knew that as well. So you knew that you were already down those guys, right? And then you lose Siani uh, just before halftime. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos does not come out at halftime, which again may have helped the LA Galaxy. Uh, Servando Carrasco comes in. Daniel Starris comes in. Both of those guys I thought played okay. Uh, Daniel Starris especially played uh, played very well. Uh, I talked to a fan, funny enough, after the game on or during the game on um, uh, the last uh, for the first home game of Portland, and somebody was saying, you know, I'd really like to see Dan Starris back in there uh, because you know I, I think he can get some playing time. I think he could be good. And for me. Uh, the only difference between Steris and Siani is that Siani's a bigger body. I, I actually rate them skills-wise about the same. Um, so I don't think there's a drop-off in switching either of those guys out. I just think it's a size issue. And for the team that they were playing, a quicker, um, smaller New York City FC team, I may have even decided to start Daniel Steris. That was one of the things that I was sort of mulling around in my head. But nonetheless, Steris had a, I think, had a good second half uh, in there for Siani. Uh, did fine. I think Carrasco came in, but it really moved the Galaxy into sort of a different formation. Kevin, um, having Carrasco and Kitchen next to each other, uh, Jonathan Dos Santos sort of taking over for where Gio was and playing more of a ten role was was a lot more involved. Uh, you had Emma Boateng and Sebastian Lynchette obviously getting forward. It, it almost turned into a four three three. Uh, which is an interesting little take on things. And on a narrow field like that, Kevin, maybe the 4-3-3 makes more sense for the Galaxy because you certainly saw, I thought, a renewed interest in, in, in and a, an ability to find space in that second half because there were turnovers in the first half. Um, there was bad marking. There was uh, there was bad defense. I mean, the, the defense has been a question on this team since 
this season has started, Kevin. So, I mean, nothing surprised me in the first half in terms of where the breakdowns came from, who was responsible, and how it all went, because the, the defense is still the biggest question mark I have about this team. Well, yeah, and then you go back to, you look at the possession numbers and, and the way the Galaxy have been outshot. I think a lot of that, some of it comes to the midfield, the possession numbers, but um, they're giving up an awful lot of shots. And the more shots a team takes, you know, logically, the more shots that are going to go in. Before we get away from the travel too much, though, everyone who comes to MLS from outside the United States, I mean, player, players that grew up in the U.S., they're a little bit more used to going cross-country. Maybe they did it in college. Maybe they did it with a travel team. Maybe they did it to visit relatives. But the Galaxy started six people who uh, started their careers and spent most of their playing time in Europe. And they're playing countries that are essentially the size of a state where they travel to train a lot of uh, games by, by trains or bus. And even if they fly, like in a Europa League or a Champions League, um, the flights are like going from L.A. to Seattle. It's not a, that big a deal. And... Those flights are charter. So now you take someone who, who's played their whole life that way. They're In the case of Siani, he's in his early 30s. He comes here. You're going to put him on a plane. You're going to fly him six hours in coach, maybe in a middle seat across the country. Um, and then you're going to force him to get out and play a game and then turn around and fly back. That takes a lot out of you. And uh, it's not one of those things where all oh, these guys pampered athletes and all that. We've all flown across country. How would you like to go out and then have to play – against a bunch of world-class players in a soccer match on a stamp on a you know field the size of a postage stamp and then turn around and come back and, and continue your season. It's very tough. And the Galaxy, by my count, they have three more trips cross-country, I believe. Um, they go back to play Toronto. I'm looking here. They go back to play Montreal. They go back to play Toronto. Um, they go back to play Philadelphia. Um, and... I guess that's it. So they have th at least three more trips cross country. That is a pretty difficult schedule. Yeah, Montreal one is especially bad. I was good. You were saying that how how you and I would like to you know travel in coach, fly across country, then try to play a soccer game. I could I could barely get out of bed this morning because of daylight savings time. All right, so one hour of. By the way, can we just talk about how ridiculous daylight savings time is, or or any changing of the clock? There, there's no need for it. It needs to stop. This insanity is crazy. All it does is make... I saw everybody on Twitter today. You think I'm not paying attention to everybody. On a Monday, after Daylight Savings Time, all this stuff comes in. I see all of you and how angry and upset you are. All right? Couple that with the Galaxy loss. It's almost... I can't even... I had to turn it off today, Kevin. It was too much. People were too cranky, and it's because of the lack of sleep. It's absolutely Well, you, you were cranky. The first thing I saw when I woke up is your screed about daylight savings time, and they don't do it in Arizona. That, it's the one thing Arizona does correctly. All right? They don't change the clocks. You know what happens in Arizona whenever there's daylight savings time or, or changing the clocks? Nothing. Nothing happens. Everybody goes on with their lives. Everything continues. This is something that we as a country can't stand for anymore, Kevin. I'm thinking about running for office just that way I can change this one thing. It would be it would be in my entire platform. I don't care about anything else. Just that. Anyway, we'll, uh, I, I, I've moaned about this all day, so I'm, I'm probably done. Um, anyway, so, so this is where we get with, with the Galaxy, the 2-1. I, I don't think it was a horrible performance. I know there's lots of people, and I certainly got, they lost, they got zero points. It's the worst thing ever. You know, everything, people are asking me, you know, Siggy Schmidt, is it time for him to go? It, it's two games into the season. Calm down. Everybody breathe a little bit. I, yeah, but but what's his record? I mean, you have it there. What's I, his record? I do have it. So in 16 games, Siggy Schmidt has now been in charge for 16 games with the LA Galaxy. He is three, nine, and four. 
uh, 13 points, 17 goals for, 33 goals against, a minus 16 goal differential. Uh, that is him through 16 games. Just if you wanted to, Kevin. If you wanted to compare him with Kurt Anolfo in his first 16 games. Oh, I games. do, I do. Okay, well, I happen to have those numbers for you as well. Uh, Anolfo was 6-6-4 six, six, and four through 16 games, 22 points, 25 goals for, 24 goals against, a plus one goal differential. I'm not saying that either of those are great records, all right? But just to put in perspective everything, I think it's important that we keep sort of track of where these two guys played and how they played and and what their records were. Because Siggy's going to get a lot more slack, Kevin, especially now uh, at the beginning of the year because he created a new team, right? Everybody talked about it. All this stuff that they did over the year, um, over, over the offseason, all these players going out, all these players coming in, these are all things that that are buying Siggy Schmidt time, time that Kurt Anolfo probably didn't have, just just to be fair. Well, yeah, and you talk about the halftime adjustment, and Ziggy talked about it too. That's great that he made the halftime adjustment. And, and I mean, let's give Ziggy his due. He's one of the greatest coaches. Statistically, he is the best coach, regular season coach in MLS history. But the record, his record at the end in Seattle, his record here with the Galaxy, suggest maybe he's not at the top of his game. And then I go back to his comments. We started out slow. I made some adjustments at halftime. That's great that you made those halftime adjustments. I guess my problem with that is why didn't you start the game that way? Why did you have to make adjustments? Why was the team not ready to play? And and Ziggy, you know, stood up and took it on himself and said that's his job and he's responsible. But I mean those are things that that do need to be corrected. I thought Ziggy and his son Kurt did a great job of building a new team, a deeper team. Um, he's already feeling the injury. So now we get to see the wisdom of some of the things that they did in the off season to see if it works, but, uh, and they have played two really good teams. And, and here's the other thing, uh, you know, Kurt Anoffel did not get off to a great start last year, but he did have that long unbeaten streak in the middle. Um, the, this year's galaxy team is facing sort of a, of a different schedule. You know, the next game they play is Vancouver. They're unbeaten. Then they're going to get LAFC. LAFC will come in unbeaten as well because they don't play again. Sporting Kansas City is off to a slow start. Chicago Fire, you know, they're a good team. They're off to a slow start. Then they get Atlanta unbeaten. Then they get the New York Red Bulls. Houston Dynamo unbeaten. Um, The Galaxy don't really, until they play Montreal on May 21st, I don't see an easy game in there. I mean, maybe maybe Kansas City is not going to be a difficult game, and especially it it being at home. But the Galaxy play... 10 really tough opponents to start the season off. Um, and they can't, yes, it's the beginning of the season, and they're, and they're just starting to find their, their rhythm. And Ziggy talked a little bit about how that chemistry is still going to take some time. But you can't get to the 10th game and look up and be, I don't know, 2-6-2. Two, two. That's just not going to get it done. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting times for the Galaxy. I mean, listen, they have... Well, let's go over. I want to go. I want to switch the stats just a little bit that I that I pulled up, and I have a question for you, Kevin. Uh, Twenty three seasons for the LA Galaxy. Kobe Jones. Kobe yeah, Jones. That is correct. Good job. Oh, um, oh. You didn't even have to phone a friend. Twenty three seasons in Major League Soccer for the LA Galaxy. How many times out of twenty three did the LA Galaxy win their first two games? Wow, that's a that's an interesting question. And let it let let everybody sort of mar- think. You're you're listening to this podcast, all right? You're all obviously LA Galaxy historians and experts because uh, you found a podcast dedicated to the LA Galaxy, so you you already know this stuff. So if you can remember back in your mind, just think about how good some of these teams were, Kevin. There's some very 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 good teams that have played for the LA Galaxy over 23 seasons. 
All right, so how many times did the team start 2-0 and for six points, basically? Well, we know they didn't do that last year. <laughs> so you can mark off. So it's 22 or 21? <laughs> and they didn't do it this year. You can already subtract it. So, yeah. So, so what do you think? How many, how many seasons? How many times have they done it? Yeah, I would I'm, say that I bet you they've done it three. They, I think they did it the first season, right? So I bet you they've done it. I'm going to say three times. That's going to be my. It's a guess. I'm going to say three times. Three times. You were actually very close. I would have thought it was more. Whenever I did did the the math on it, I thought it was more. It's four times. It's four times, and only once in 2002 did they win the MLS Cup because of it. So what I'm basically saying is that after two games. The LA Galaxy having three points is actually better than their historical average. So, can everybody breathe a little sigh of relief there and calm down? There's not the end of the world. I certainly understand the LA Galaxy should be competitive every game, and I can make an argument that in the second half, they made that game competitive. All right, New York City did not run away with it as they should have. Okay, maybe that's a New York City problem. Maybe it's not an LA Galaxy problem, but it is an interesting start to the season. And so you take that, and you put it away, and you understand where the Galaxy are right now. By the way, LA Galaxy at 1.50 points per game. I just want it after two games. That's what you get. I know. I'm, I'm keeping all these stats, Kevin. They don't make sense until like you get you know 10 or 12 games, but I'll, I'll, start, I'll keep spouting them off at the beginning of the year, too. So 1.5 a game so far. That gives them 51 points. They should be right there in the playoff race if they keep playing like this. But, you know, we talked about – I still like this team. I think it's deep. I do like the fact that you have a guy like a Pontius or, or a – uh, Romney and you know Steris supposedly coming off the bench. This injury thing was really going to test this now, but there are some other you know gaping issues and and there is something wrong with Gio and maybe just not the hamstring. Um, he is not. I don't think he is an asset. I think he's a liability right now. And when he's a hundred percent and ready to go ninety minutes, uh, you know that might be a while. Uh, but when he is, I think Ziggy has a decision to make does he continue to run geo out there or does chris pontius then start and management's going to have to get involved in this because um giovanni dos santos is your most expensive player for the next two years this season and next season at least he's your most expensive player um his father is very it will be very involved if geo sits you can bet uh and his brother jonathan is a big part of the team um there is going to be that it's not going to be an easy decision but uh I don't know that the team can can. I don't know that the team will not struggle if Gio continues to play. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting because you have to sit there and say, "Hey, is Giovanni dos Santos a starter for this LA Galaxy team?" I have maintained, Kevin, and I will continue to maintain that Giovanni dos Santos is, I think, and this includes Roman Alessandrini or anybody else you can put out there, is the most pure talented person on the field the LA Galaxy have. Oh. It definitely, but he's been the most talented player on whatever field he's been on since he was 15, I, and he changes teams every two years. There's no doubt that he is extremely talented. I, I think the problem has always been whether or not he is willing to apply himself. Um, you know, and you see, and I, I am not going to continue to go all year comparing the two teams. Trust me, I'm not going to do that. But just for the point of emphasis, um, Gio is the star of this team. He's the most talented player. Um, but you see him. He, I don't see him tracking back a lot. I don't see him playing a lot of defense. Um, and you look at or, you know at LAFC, Carlos Vela, another Mexican national team guy, the most expensive player on his team. Um, he tracks back and plays defense, and he plays 90 minutes both ends of the ball. I just don't see Gio doing that. And and you're right, immensely talented guy. Maybe just flat out talent. If you took him to an NFL combine situation, maybe he's one of the most talented athletes in MLS. 
but you got to apply yourself for 90 minutes and you have to do little things like Landon Donovan did when he played, um, you know, to, to carry the team and to earn that DP tag. You know, there's a reason why Gio's the best player on the team, but actually Cole has the armband. Um, it, you know, talent necessarily isn't the beat all and end all. And, you know, I, we go back to what we've talked about many times on the show. The previous coaching staff said, why is this guy changing teams every two years? We see him. We know he's talented. There's something going on that makes him change teams all the time. He, he kind of wears out his welcome, and I'm wondering if that's happened here. He's He got off to a great start that first half season. Then his first full season led the team in goals and assists. And since then, he's been kind of, I don't know, Jassy's artist. Yeah, uh, which, by the way, Jossie keeps playing extremely well at uh, Columbus, so that's always a fun thing so to track. maybe Gio could go to Columbus. Maybe. <laughs> you know that's not a bad idea. Maybe he would see a, a resurrection under Greg Berhalter as well. The, the, believe me, I, I want to see I want to see Giovanni Dos Santos. I want to see the Giovanni Dos Santos I used to see with the Mexican national team. And anybody who remembers that 2011 Gold Cup at the Rose Bowl, the, the goal that he scored uh, against Tim Howard— the greatest goal I have ever seen, and and that was that was Giovanni. Everything that you want to see from him: the footwork, the intelligence, the awareness of where he was on the field, um, the skill, the uh, everything. That one play, if you haven't seen it, look it up on Google. 2011 Gold Cup Rose Bowl, most incredible goal I've seen in person ever. And in that goal, in those few seconds, you you look at that and you say, "Oh my God, we got to sign this player. This guy is great." That's what Gio can do, and he's not doing it, and it's it's kind of frustrating. Well, he, he's in a lot of ways, and I think I made this comparison before. He's like he's like uh, uh, he's like Jose Villarreal, living off the fact that he scored a great goal whenever he came in that one time against Vancouver years ago, um, and and that's great. And you do see those those great sort of uh, moves that Giovanni Dos Santos has, but he does not show it on a regular basis. Um, and at this point, if you're Siggy Schmidt, you have to be asking yourself, is this team better without Giovanni Dos Santos on the field? And if you're going to use Sunday's game as your, your, your measuring stick, the answer is yes. The Galaxy were a much better team in the second half. Now, was that totally because of Giovanni Dos Santos? I don't know, but I'll tell you, with Jonathan Dos Santos pressing into that offensive zone, into the 10 spot, he was finding more players. He eventually scores a goal. He's able to go forward. Maybe that's a solution the LA Galaxy can use while Giovanni Dos Santos is injured, but this there's something wrong here. And if this continues to go, and I'm, I'm hesitant to write Gio off, Kevin, and I've been hesitant to write him off because I've seen the talent just like you. I've seen what he's done. It's like if you could just get that sparklet, if you could just get that confidence going for him, he could destroy teams in Major League Soccer. He could be such a huge addition to this Galaxy team. He could be the difference between, quite honestly, if Gio was playing at at top Gio level there, Kevin, he makes them into an MLS Cup contender. But, well, he, but he hasn't shown that. A couple of things. You said, you know, he came out for the halftime. He had the injury... Um, so let's let's just give him the benefit of the doubt on that and and say, yes, they were a much better team without him. Well, maybe that injury was bothering him a lot more. Maybe that's was the difference that the geo that we saw was an injured geo. And so that's a little bit different. The another thing that worries me though, is I really thought the first half of the season that Giovanni dos Santos was going to be great. And the reason I thought that is because, he was playing for one person at the first half of the season. He was playing for Juan Carlos Osorio to convince him that he needs to be on the Mexican national team and needs to be a starter in the World Cup. I thought that was his motivation, and I really expected a great first half of the season. After the World Cup, I kind of thought, you know, in 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 my own mind, I thought maybe Gio would then have a drop-off because he's lost that 
that inspiration. Um, but in fact, it's gone the other way. He's got off to a very slow start. Now he's injured, probably won't get a call up. Uh, and I wonder what that does. Does he then sulk? Does he try harder to get back in Osorio's good graces before um, the May call up for the World Cup? Um, we'll see. You know, another example, uh, you mentioned Villarreal. I'm going to go to another sport. My example of Gio is, is Yasiel Puig. Here's a guy that you look at him and you say, oh, my God, he's got every tool in the book. He can run. He can throw. He can hit you know, hit for average, hit for power. And then he'll throw to the wrong base, and he'll do things that get you right on the verge of taking him out of the lineup, and then he makes an ungodly throw or hits a ball 700 feet, and you say, no, this guy's got to be on the field. And he keeps getting that extra chance. Gio's kind of like that. Gio will sleepwalk through a couple of games, and you'll think, well, we got to get rid of this guy or put him on the bench. And then he does something amazing, like that goal in the Gold Cup. He'll do uh, something that's just mind-boggling. And then he earns a, you know some extra time. And, and Gio's kind of like that. When, his, when he turns it on, he's uh, amazing. He just doesn't t- seem to turn it on off. Yeah, it is. It's hey, it's one of the questions that you have to continue to ask. And and by the way, I, I remember uh, in Robbie Keane's last year with Steven Gerrard as well. I said that the LA Galaxy were better without Robbie Keane and Steven Gerrard on the field. Um, and and I still stand by that. I think in the last year, that's what it had come to. Uh, you know, I'm more than willing to to sit here and and watch Giovanni dos Santos run circles around people and be the star of this team. But at, the biggest deal here is the $5.5 million, Kevin. If he was getting paid $750,000, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But because he's taking up that third designated player spot, because he's getting paid $5.5 million, you expect him to be able to rescue this team. Robbie Keane was great at that, Kevin. When the Galaxy weren't playing well, they weren't doing great, Robbie Keane would find a way to manufacture something and make something happen. I'm not asking Gio to score goals all the time. I don't think that that would necessarily just automatically dictate success for him, but he needs to be creating those goals. He needs to be partnering with people. And for the most part, in the first half, the LA Galaxy bypassed him. All right. Jonathan Dos Santos came in in the second half, played in the same position and was very, very involved in the game. Well, you know, you you talk about Robbie Keane. The difference with Robbie Keane is Robbie Keane refused to lose. He came in in 2011 uh, at the end of that season. He came in in August, I think. They won three uh, uh, MLS Cups in four years with Robbie Keane there. That's not a coincidence. I think I, I, he didn't do it on on his own. Landon was there. You know, Beckham was there for a lot of that. But Robbie Keane refused to lose, and he would grab a, grab guys and, and carry them across the finish line. I, I don't see Gio having that in, in any way. And you mentioned the, the fact that Gerard and, and Keane really flamed out at the end of that last season. They both started that final playoff game against Colorado on the bench. They both came in late in the second half. But you had $10 million of designated players sitting next to each other on the bench. Management noticed. Management noticed in a big way. And that's why last year, that is the reason why last year we had the young team. The Galaxy had the young team, academy guys, guys closer to minimum wage. Management had got to the point saying, why am I spending all this money on these guys who are too old and infirm to even play? We're not going to do that. We're going to pay guys that are going to come out and play on the field. And and they made some very wise and judicious, I think, salary moves uh, as far as what they were going to pay guys. If we get back to the situation with Gio where he's making over $5 million and he's on the bench too, I'm not saying there's going to be the same kind of uh, quasi-knee-jerk reaction, but management is going to notice that, once again, their highest-paid player is sitting on the bench not really contributing. And would that hurt them going forward? Would would Chris Klein and the others and uh, Kurt uh, you know Kurt Schmidt be able to convince them that hey maybe seeking a, uh, you know dropping a bunch of money 
onto an Ibrahimovic is, is a good idea. Would they be able to do that? Would they have the same success in bringing big-name players over here? I don't know. Um, it didn't work out so well the first time, though. Yeah, it, 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 sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. David Beckham worked. Uh, there's, there's ways to... Just with Gio, it hasn't worked. And, and I think you're getting to the point now where you have to evaluate the entire move. Uh, you can't say that he's not comfortable anymore. I don't think you can argue that 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 the Galaxy have played him in a position where uh, where he sh- can't succeed. I think that he's in the position that he will succeed at the best. People are asking, you know, do you move him out to right right side to the right side, make him a winger, and move Sebastian Lejet into that role? I mean, yeah, you can do those things, but we've talked about defensive issues before with Giovanni Dos Santos, and do you really want that guy not tracking back on defense on the right wing and leaving Rolf Felcher all by himself? That's sort of my. Well, my big you question. talk about Gio. Bring my brother in. I want. My, I want to play with my brother. Here's your brother. Nothing. Yeah. You know, it, they they have sort of done what he's asked them to do, and nothing. Yeah. It, it's it, it has so far been a failed experiment. If we're if we're calling if if David Beckham was an experiment, then this is the Giovanni dos Santos experiment, and it has been a, a failing grade so far. Very little success, except for you know coming in with uh, with Robbie Keane that one year. And again, you can go back and track those goals. And I've said it before. Track those goals. You'll see a lot of those goals came in games that were already decided. Um, so this is, this is, it's just another page in the galaxy game and it showed itself here, but granted again, Kevin, you're right. He was injured. Don't know if he was injured when the game started. Don't know if he just tweaked something in the game at one point. I think he got all of six offensive touches the entire night in 45 minutes. Um, so the galaxy seemed more than happy to bypass him. By the way, I'm told that he is very well liked in the locker room. That Geo does his puts in his work, does his stuff, is nice to the guys. Everybody gets along with him. So this isn't a fact of you know him sort of separating himself from the guys. Everybody seems to really like him. But how much do they really like him whenever he keeps playing and he's not contributing on the field? Eventually, you have to think that that starts to 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 gather some resentment from the rest of the guys. And you know, could that be? a locker room issue eventually. It's not right now. It certainly isn't. But these are all things that affect sort of the the mental health of the team. And I think right now, talking to some of the players afterwards, I, I would say that the, the Galaxy seem like they're still in a good mental state. Uh, they understand, I think, what went wrong in the first half. Uh, they like the adjustments that they made in the second half. Uh, the only thing that still is sort of up in the air, Kevin, is uh, whether or not Ashley Cole will be playing for Vancouver. Because as we've said before, he did receive two yellow cards. However, the second yellow card is pretty dubious. Uh, yeah, I always thought you had to make contact before you could get a yellow card. <laughs> you you would think so. I mean, if I guess if you stopped in front of somebody and they dove around you, you could call that obstruction. But in this case, uh, Dava Villa, a uh, world-class player, obviously, also seems to be a world-class diver. Uh, he was clear past Ashley Cole when he flopped, fell over, and rolled. I think honestly knowing that he wasn't going to be able to run any further after that. He had already sprinted. Uh, the ball got caught underneath Ashley Cole's feet there. Uh, Ashley Cole received his second yellow card. Very reminiscent, Kevin, of the second game of the 2017 season where the LA Galaxy faced off against the Portland Timbers. And Yellow Von Dom got two yellow cards. In this case, both yellow cards were because of flopping, floppy divey things that happened uh, with Portland. Um, and so Ashley Cole sort of put it in the same position here. I will tell you, the video is pretty clear that Ashley Cole made zero contact with Dava Villa. I think the Galaxy have a good chance of having this overturned, and people have asked, Kevin, why VAR wasn't used in this particular case. Yeah, I was going to say, wouldn't it be great if they were able to use technology and have some sort of a video 
uh, review referee there that where the referee on the field could could ask for some help. That would be great to clear these things up. Why, why doesn't MLS have that? Yeah, well, um, the you can blame FIFA for this one, as a matter of fact, which is always fun. It's always good. Uh, FIFA dictates the rules in which vid- the video assistant referee is allowed to be used, the VAR, and in no case is a yellow card reviewable. And everybody goes, but it wasn't a yellow card, it's a red card. No, it was a yellow card. It was two yellow cards that eventually got Ashley Cole red carded. And because of the second yellow, he is then shown a red card. Now, there's a little backdoor into this that I don't think MLS uh, referees even thought to look at. But if you consider that denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, which it was a little far away from the goal, but at Yankee Stadium, you're never really that far away from the goal, so maybe you could make this argument. If it was denial of a goal-scoring opportunity and they thought it was a straight red card, then they may be able to review it because it would be a straight red, and that's a reviewable action. But two yellow cards and a second yellow card is not a reviewable action, which is ridiculous, by the way, because it still has the effect of a red card, Kevin. It's still technically a red card, and it's it's a a game-changing. It's a game-changing play. That's what uh, VAR was supposed to... uh Acknowledge that it was supposed to repair game-changing plays. Now, MLS, Now, I believe the LA Galaxy can't appeal the red card because it eventually goes into the book as a red card, strange as that may be. Um, and they can go, and they can have that looked at. I think, and it's going to be a better chance than Von Dom. There were some other circumstances in Von Dom's uh, two f- uh, ghost yellow cards uh, that you could certainly point and argue to. This one, however, seems, if there was any contact, it was so minimal and De- uh, David Villa looked like he was gunning for the contact. He starts to fall, I think, even before the if there was contact was made, which I don't think there was. It was so light, um, if any. And I think there's space in there, so I don't think there's any contact. But if there, if you see all these things, MLS could look at that retroacti- retroactively, um, you know, uh, rescind the second yellow card, and Ashley Cole could play. There's also a chance that David Villa could also get a fine for diving, um, and if it was a, because it was a red card, eventually leading to a red card could even miss a game. I don't think that helps the galaxy and I don't think that's going to happen, but there's a good chance the galaxy could still have Ashley Cole for Vancouver. And I think that that's probably, uh, probably fair. I was talking to, uh, to, to one player and they were like, man, Ashley Cole sort of gets screwed with red cards. Uh, you remember Ashley Cole picking up two yellows, uh, within, I think a minute of each other, uh, whenever he first joined the league, uh, I think it was against Kansas city. Uh, in Kansas City, picked up two yellow cards, I think within a minute or a minute and a half, or maybe it was against Vancouver. I can't remember, but basically, Ashley Cole's had some unlucky yellow cards. This one is very unlucky, and if MLS was doing their job, uh, and I don't know that it goes to the disciplinary committee, Kevin, but if MLS is doing their job, they look at this and say, is this fair, the way that it was put out on the field, and do we have a chance to right that wrong even a little bit? And the answer probably is yes, that they they, they can do that, and that they would pull the uh, second yellow card away from uh, Ashley Cole there. But the fact that VAR can't be used in these situations, totally a FIFA issue, and by my account is a ridiculous limit to put on this. They should just put it, it's not, it's easily corrected, say in the event of a second yellow card, if the second yellow card if there seems to be that there's a question of that that leads to the eventual red card, that you could review it. So you can look at the second one just to make sure that you're not sending somebody off on, you know, for an unwarranted foul. I think if the referees did that in this case, that Ashley Cole would still be on the field. Just, just my two cents. By the way, you say players in scoring position. You're in a scoring position. You're, you know, in the probability of scoring when you step out of the locker room at Yankee <laughs> Stadium. So that's not I, I definitely David Villa was in position to score that, just because he was on the field. 
that's not true. You have to walk across the entire baseball diamond before you can get to that field all the way on the other side. No, you're right. You're it's it's a it's a postage stamp of a field. It's one of the larger embarrassments. I would rather the LA Galaxy play on a turf field like uh like they play in Minnesota. I think one of the worst turf fields uh in Minnesota than play on that grass um, you know, uh basketball court basically. Uh, that's that's horrible. It just looks bad. It makes MLS look bad, and that's supposed to be one of the marquee teams. Give me a break. Yeah, exactly. Marquee team and a marquee market. Um, they're playing at Yankee Stadium, which you know, um, granted, it has all of its fame for for a baseball field, but still, I mean, you don't want to, uh, you know, denigrate the the stadium by by turning it into a joke when you play another sport there. Um, I just don't understand what, and again, you know, major league soccer is committed to this team here. And, and as far as I know, they have no plans, uh, for any kind of a stadium deal and MLS too. I just, while we're talking about stadiums briefly, they pushed this whole soccer specific stadium thing for so long and LAFC stadium, soccer specific stub hub, a lot of these beautiful stadiums, Columbus, they're all 22, 24,000, 25,000 seat stadiums. Uh, the crowds are really tight. Now, all of a sudden, you're drawing 72,000 in Atlanta. You get 50,000-plus in Seattle on a regular basis. I, I wonder if now the league's going to start looking at that and say, you know what? you got to expand these stadiums. they got to be bigger stadiums. Now, whatever happened to the soccer experience? Because you're not getting that soccer-specific experience in Atlanta and Seattle. Yes, you're getting a lot of fans there, and there is a good atmosphere. But, you know, MLS can't really have it both ways. You can't say we want these small, intimate places where people are very close to the field, and then we're going to go play, uh, you know, in Mercedes-Benz uh, Mercedes Stadium where you have 72,000 people, and all of a sudden it's it's kind of like Old Trafford. Which which one is it going to be? And if you're going to say, okay, we don't need this soccer-specific stadium, then how come uh, New York City FC doesn't go play in the old Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium? That's a football stadium. They could go play there. Yeah, well, I mean— you know why they said we love the small soccer state. It's because they knew how many fans they were going to be able to draw. Uh, if you could get 72,000 in Granite, uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium was semi-designed for soccer. Um, you know, and they claim that all the time, except that apparently nobody actually put a television camera in that place because you can't see the near touchline and you can't see the near corner. Um, so it's sort of a little downgrade from a from a television watching experience, and I watched uh, some of that game uh, over the weekend. But I would like to see. It, listen, if you are going to get seventy two thousand people, I'm all for playing in a giant stadium. Let's do it. Fill it up, make it loud and raucous, and all that stuff. But I mean, that's why the switch is is because they can get seventy two thousand. If they couldn't get seventy two thousand, Kevin, they would be like, you know what, you can you should build a twenty two thousand uh, person stadium because you have a stadium here that'll hold seventy two, and you're only drawing twenty two. So it's just a matter of, you know, the economics and, and sort of molding the marketing scheme to, to what that they want to have there. So I have no problems. I love watching games in Atlanta. It's exciting. It's fun. I don't like the fact that it's not grass, but I have a problem with uh, apparently also even grass stadiums. So that's just me. We'll, we'll survive. Uh, Kevin, let's get to some listener questions before we get on out of here. Uh, we have a bunch of them, which is good. I always, uh, again, I think you guys were fired up because of the lack of sleep, so we'll uh, we'll go over that. Uh, the High Desert Galaxy fans, the HDG, uh, the HD Galaxy fans on Twitter, uh, with all of these injured, I think it's six total as of now. Uh, that is correct. Uh, does that mean that Efren Alvarez has a chance to be on the bench against Vancouver? Uh, Kevin, I'll let you start if you want. I can answer this one too, but this is this is a fun one. A, ch a chance, yes. I don't know that they are ready to have him uh, be a, a big player in MLS right now. And it, it, this is a very de uh, delicate situation. You know, you go back and you look at a lot of young stars. Freddie Adu is the one that comes to my mind. 
uh, a guy that was highly touted. They put him in against uh, to play against men and didn't do too well, and his confidence was sunk. And, and I think you can make the argument that it definitely hurt his career. The last thing they want to do with Ephraim is, is that, to have him start to second-guess just how good he is. So I think they're going to put him in. If they put him in, they're going to put him in in situations where he can succeed and where he can come out of the game feeling good about himself. I think the last thing they want to do is say, hey, Ola Kamara's got to knock your Ola Kamara for 90 minutes. Go out there and knock him dead, son. That's just not going to work. Um, I think they continue to bring him along slowly. Um, it, he's not going to, you know, it, it would be very difficult for me to believe that he's going to save this season if, in fact, the season needs saving. We're two games in. Everything's fine, everybody. But if it got to that point, um, they don't. I, I think they would probably be wiser to just let him do his thing and let him develop at his own pace and not try to put a lot of pressure on him. He's 15 years old. Here, here's the other thing I will say. There's 13 days until the Galaxy play the next game. You have no idea who's going to be available, who's not going to be available. Or who else is going to get hurt. Or who else is going to get hurt, exactly. So the, any guess right now would be a long shot. Uh, you might be able to start figuring stuff out at the beginning of next week, but really it's going to be the Thursday before the game, before, before you really start to understand uh, who's going to start, who's ready, and who's available. So, again, pump the brakes on the panic. I know there's six people injured. I expect one or two of those guys to possibly come off uh, the injured list for Vancouver, and I expect a bunch of those guys to be ready by March 31st for LAFC. So relax a little bit. All right. Uh, teach for food. How long until Giovanni Dos Santos doesn't start? One, two, or three more games? Which, what do you think, Kevin? Is there a chance that if he's healthy... Giovanni Dos Santos doesn't start if he doesn't improve. No, I, I think they're going to give him a long leash for a number of different reasons uh, because, uh, you know, Gio's dad is involved a little bit with uh, some. I, I believe that he is an influencer or has a voice in some of the player decisions. That's that's my gut uh, sense that he has the ability to call uh, the front office and, and talk about these things. His brother is there. They don't want Jonathan to sulk. I think there's a lot of kind of personality issues that come into this. Um the Galaxy need to win, and, and it depends on how – if the Galaxy are winning with a subpar Geo, probably it's not that big an issue. If the team is struggling, especially if it ever gets close to the depths of last year, then, yeah, all bets are off. But I don't think there's a stomach uh, right now for them to put their most expensive player on the bench. Um, I don't think there's a they, – they, they want to take a chance on, on messing anything up with Jonathan, who is playing pretty well. Um no, I don't think they're there yet, but I do think it's something that is being uh, – let me put it this way. I think it's something that's being discussed. I think it's something that has quietly been put on the table. I don't see it happening for a while. Um, it may not happen if he doesn't go to the World Cup. I think he definitely plays because people will be away during the World Cup break. Um, so it could be midsummer before it really comes to that. But hopefully someone's telling Gio, look, you know, we, we need a little bit more out of you. They need a lot more, a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I think – I think this question right now, quite honestly, keeps Siggy Schmidt up at night a little bit, um, trying to figure out how he's going to either motivate uh, Giovanni Dos Santos or how he's going to uh, work around the deficiencies that, that Gio brings uh, because it's it's an issue, and it has been an issue. And people say, you know, it's only two games, and I agree with that. It's only two games, except it's not really two games because there were four preseason games before this, and Gio didn't look all that interested in those games at all either. Uh, the last one may be the exception, as I thought was his best game. Um, so all of these things, you know, are starting to come around. It's been about six games now of uninterested Geo. Now that you're in the season, are you going to get one of those standout performances you can hang your hat on with Geo? And is that enough to keep him on the starting? I think, I honestly, I think Siggy Schmidt is already thinking about this and what's going to happen down the road. Is it one, two, or three games? I don't know. Uh, based on the injury, 
it's going to be whether or not he's injured for a long time, injured for a short time, um, and whether or not he's able to start and play and, and do those things depending on how long he stays. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, Brian asked, uh, were you happy with Cole's second yellow card? I personally wasn't pleased. Um, Kevin, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you thought it was uh, much of a yellow card either. So I, I think that one sort of stands. We talked about that one, uh, a little bit at length. Any, any comments on that? No, no. It, it, it and the last time you talked about the last time you got two yellow cards and a red card, same thing happened in that one. The second yellow card was not really a yellow card. And I, I did, I can't remember what game it was. I think it was against Kansas city, but I distinctly remember Ashley Cole walking off the field with a look on his face. Like what just happened? Right. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I and kind of, he, he, I, he's been through the drill enough, Kevin. He was just sort of like, yep. Okay. Whatever. And he, like he, he swatted at the air, said that was ridiculous basically. And then just walked off. I was like, you know, there's no arguing with this. I, I think pro referees have a long way to go. Um, but again, it's frustrating as I, I know it's frustrating as a fan because I get all of the messages. I see it is that, you know, there's this tool VAR you're, you're allowed to use it now. Granted, you can't use it in this situation, but why can't you use it in this situation? It's just, again, it's more frustration with, with VAR and more frustration with the fact that even if it does get rescinded, the Galaxy were putting some pressure on New York City down the stretch. Even with 10 guys, they put some pressure on them. So does Ashley Cole staying on the field, those extra five, six, seven minutes towards the end of the game, Kevin, does that eventually turn the tide for the Galaxy and mean that they get walk away with a point? And if you get a point in that game, you you scree- you drive directly to the airport, you get on the airplane, you get home as fast as you can because you stole one. So uh, just again, more interesting things. Let's go to uh, uh, the next question from Tristan: What happens? What happens in Vancouver, and how do we deal with our six injuries? And what happens at home against LAFC? Looking at all these things a- again, I think we're condensing these games too much. There's 13 days basically between games for the Galaxy right now. There's time to get people uninjured more healthy on their way back. So don't think that you're going to have six players out. Although, Kevin, you certainly gave us that information uh, at the beginning that you're going to be missing Jonathan Dos Santos for that game against Vancouver. You're going to be missing for sure Giovanni Dos Santos, whether he's injured or with the, or, or whether he's with Mexico. So you have those. You add to that list all the other players that are possibly uh, injured and can't play, and you could have as many as eight players um, or seven players gone for that game. So it, it still is an issue. It's just not an issue yet because there's still time for people to get healthy. Am, am well, I off base on that? I, I think the two likely ones to come back, I, I I think Cole has, if they decide to challenge us, I think I would hope that Cole would have a chance, perhaps of getting the red card rescinded, and he could be back. And then Pontius, I don't know what, what the knock is. I do know Ziggy said that he was not progressing as they thought he would. I don't know what the injury is, but but I'm going to put him in the in the – maybe probable category. I think management, uh, Ziggy and the coaching staff and the training staff, and you know, who are fly around the world, saving people's lives have to look at whether, uh, Alessandrini and Siani and Pedro, whether they can play on a turf field because they have another game a week later. And, it, you know, a lot of times those turf fields, especially if you go on there with a balky leg to start with, it's something that you come out there a little bit more injured and um, yes, the Galaxy need to win, or at least a point in Vancouver, very much so. But is it worth, you know, uh, worsening these injuries? I know these guys are getting some high-tech uh, pl- uh, treatment with uh, with plasma injections and other things, um, and they do have two weeks. Uh, the talk would be that uh, Alessandrini would be ready, but I think the carpet kind of enters that conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It's it's a consideration. If you have a guy who's borderline go or no go, you're you're going to say no go on the car- on the carpet. 
Uh, whereas on grass, you may say, hey, if you're feeling like it, go for it. It's also early in the season, so I think there's already an abundance of caution from Siggy Schmidt and the rest of the coaching staff to hold these guys and make sure that they're actually healthy when they come back. Um, I don't think there's any need to rush these guys back. I know people are going to complain if the Galaxy... Listen, going up to Vancouver, and I'll tell you right now, going up to Vancouver, who have shown that they look like they could be a very good team this year, uh, is not going to be an easy game for the Galaxy. In fact, I would say that you travel that far, uh, you're playing on turf, It's you're probably not going to have Ramon Alessandrini back again, who is clearly your best offensive player in terms of spark um, and really involves Ola Kamara a lot more whenever uh, Ramon Alessandrini is on the field. If you look at all those things, that right now it doesn't look for the good for the Galaxy if you're looking at even getting a point. I think that's a difficult game to get a point with, and you would you would gladly if I told you that you could have a point against Vancouver right now, you would take that and you would just take and you would walk away. And that's that's what you should be thinking about going towards Vancouver. But again, tons of time to see who's going to come back, who's available, who's going to train the week before, all those things. Let's go to. Uh, Luis. Uh, Luis writes in and he says, uh, do you guys think after Jonah looked good as the number 10? Remember, Jonah slipped into this role uh, vacated by Giovanni Dos Santos after he was uh, he was injured. Uh, do you think that, that, that he's going to get another shot there since Gio's hamstring decided to act up? Also, do these injuries perhaps push Efren Alvarez into the 18 against Vancouver? Again, everybody really wants Efren. Uh, a, a lot of Efra up in this house, Kevin. What do you think? You know what? I, I I personally would be, especially if there's injuries, I would personally be in favor of him being in the 18 for a number of reasons. One is, if the game dictates, send him out there and let him play a little bit. I, I, I'm not against him playing. I'm just against him uh, you know, being uh, christened as the answer to all these problems. But a road trip would be great for him. See what it's like to be with the first team. See what it's like, the way they travel, where they go, how they're treated. You know, seeing a game sitting on the on an MLS sideline, I think all that is part of the education, uh, so he can feel comfortable when he does start. I mean, he's going to be a starter at like 16 or 17. That's insane to think about. So, uh, but the Galaxy do do have to think about that, and they should start thinking about it now. Let's get this guy acclimated so he's not ad- adapting to everything at the same time. I, if there's some injuries, I would be totally in favor of him. Now, if he keeps a Pontius or or somebody like that off the bench and keeps them home. No, but uh, I'd love to see him uh, be in the 18 and I'd love to see him run uh, get out there and run around for 10 or 15 minutes. What about Jonah going to the number 10 there, Kevin? Do you think uh, Jonathan Dos Santos can play that playmaking role underneath Ola Kamara? I think, I don't think it's ideal, but um, if Gio's not going to do it, someone has to do it. I don't know whether Pontius could sl- uh, slot in there and do that. Um, you know, I like to keep Alessandrini wide, you know, when he's playing, uh, Emma's got to be wide, legit can play in the middle, but he's much better wide as well. So someone has to play in the middle. Someone has to be in that playmaking role. And that that was what we were told. If you remember, that was what we were told when when Jonathan came over. Um, you know, people thought of him as a defensive a midfielder, a holy midfielder, but we were told he was going to be the link between the back line and the strikers up front and never really developed. But Ziggy now wanting to play the ball out of the back, that link becomes that much more important. Uh, someone's got to do it. If Gio's not going to do it, then then perhaps Jonathan's the best option. Uh, let's go to Daniel. Daniel says, will Siggy bench Gio at the Vancouver game? I, it's not even going to be an issue. See, this, it's not even going to be an issue. We're, we gave you the information now. It's not going to be an issue because... He's not going to be there. He's not going to be there. If he's injured, he's out. And if he's not injured, he's probably with Mexico. So he's not going to be there. It won't even be an issue. Uh, will Siggy be able to sell Gio, even if it means selling Jonathan Dos Santos as well? If you, if you sell both of them, Kevin, you could probably move them. Yeah, but again, I think you're you you're right to urge caution. It's two games into the season. Gio has had a bad two games. Um, 
you know, what it would take to, to get that deal done, I think there'd be a lot of other moving parts. I don't think we're at that point yet. I think they're going to try to find a way to motivate Gio. That's all it is. It's motivating him. Maybe his this is where his brother comes into play. It's like, dude, I'm out here busting my butt for 90 minutes, and you won't track back? Come on. Yep. I'm your brother. Help me out here. Yep. Uh, Ricardo Perez also asked if uh, Jonah could play in Gio's position uh, behind Kamara. So that's a, that's a good one. I think we answered that. Uh, we also had uh, JNog86. He says, who should wear the armband with Cole out? Uh, oh, that's a great question. I, see, there's an obvious answer here, Kevin. But it w- it is, he, you, there's a very obvious answer. Let's say Gio is out, all right? Because if Gio's not going to be there, then, then he's out. Jonah's not going to be there. Okay, so if you're going to the Vancouver game, you have those two guys out. Who wears? Roman Alessandrini probably isn't going to be back, so he can't wear it. Chris Pontius is probably maybe not be back, so he can't wear it. Who is the obvious answer for wearing the armband? Well, I don't have an obvious answer, but I have two interesting answers. Okay, two interesting answers. Go. I think Perry Kitchen's been the best player so far this year. He's a veteran guy. He's a guy with a lot of um, moxie, and he's a, he's a gritty player. He's the kind of player that you want to be your captain, a guy that's not going to quit. I think Perry Kitch would be a good choice. I also think Sebastian Legette. It's kind of his team. He rushed himself back. He's back healthy again. Um, he would be the guy in that lineup, I think, that probably has the most – I think he is the guy with the most experience as a Galaxy member. So you could also give it to Sebastian Legette, although not he's not quite the, the – doesn't have quite the captain profile that Perry Kitchen does. Perry Kitchen was the correct answer. You you got it. Okay. That was that that was the one. I, I think that that's the good one. I, I don't have a problem with Sebastian Legette. I feel like Perry Kitchen's more of leader material. And just in terms not saying Sebastian Legette not a leader. He is, but he, he seems to be maybe um I don't know. I don't know how to say this without being like rude or or dismissive. He could certainly wear the armband. There's no problems with it. I think Perry Kitchen is more of that tough guy pull guys, hold guys accountable. Sebastian is the nicest guy in the world. So I don't know that he would be yelling and screaming at somebody to get in there and to get their head in the game. So that would be my only... Uh, P- Perry Kitchen definitely would be... You know, we've been talking about Gio a lot today. I think you were the one that said earlier that you know that it's a hamstring issue that we're talking about with him. That's what it was reported as. Okay. All right, hamstring. Um, I think uh, I think LA Galaxy insider there, Adam Serrano, reported it. So I feel, fa- I feel pretty good in, in sort of leaning that direction. Because his brother said after the game he didn't know what it was, and I'm thought, really, really, come on, Jonathan. <laughs> after the after the game, your brother was on the bench for 45 minutes and never said to you, "Hey, I think uh, my hammy's acting up a little bit." Never mentioned it once. Okay. Yep. I know. No, they don't. They don't talk that much. Don't you? They're they're not that close. The whole Maybe family. only only one of them speaks Spanish. I don't know. <laughs> that's how it works. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Oh wait, I did have one more. This is a good one. Uh, this one came from Reddit. Um, I'll be the one. He writes in. He says, "Hey, Josh, uh, did you notice that they put up?" Emmanuel Legette and Sebastian Legette on the lineup for the Spectrum Sportsnet uh, uh, production there of the game over the weekend. He says, so Dos Legettes and Quattro Santos? He goes, that sounds like a Kevin joke. <laughs> so I just oh, wanted to... Oh, yeah. yeah. I, wish I, I wish my jokes were that good. No, that's right. So I just wanted to throw that in there and, uh, and have that. All right. Uh, let's see, Kevin. I think we've talked enough. In fact, I know we've talked enough. In fact, I don't want to talk anymore for the rest of the night. Uh, well, how about, how about a programming note with the off week? Are we going to be back here next week? If you would like to be, I know you're traveling. So I, I mean, will be we back. I will be back for uh, approximately 36 hours during the middle of that 36 hours would be a, the normal pod time. Even with daylight savings time, I would still be here available. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think we do. I think we do because we can. I think there might be some updates, uh, and if not, then maybe we'll do a uh, a, a Q and A session, just a, a short one or something like that. But I think we, we could can, talk about the Mexican national team. That sounds. I, that's not my expertise, and it is not corner of the Mexican national team uh, as the as the uh, as the program. But yes, maybe we could talk about your travels. Maybe we could go into some bio stuff on on you and y- yourself and myself, and and give people a little bit more of an idea of where we're coming from. And we um, could stretch it out with some stand-up. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that's a two-hour podcast just waiting to happen. So, yeah, we'll be back next Monday. Let's do it for sure. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? You good? That's it. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, uh, please head on over to at KBaxter11. It's not just KBaxter. That guy hates me because I constantly tag him in tweets whenever I forgot to put the 11 on the backside. So don't bother the at KBaxter guy. It's at KBaxter11. That's where you want to go. LATimes.com as well for Mr. Baxter's wonderful soccer coverage, including LAFC, Mexican national team, U.S. men's national team, whenever that's relevant, uh, and, of course, the LA Galaxy as well. If you're looking for me on Twitter, at JGuessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter, go to cornerofthegalaxy.com. We have stickers for sale. If you want to, you can go ahead and put in your orders for scarves as well. We have ordered them. I do expect them in in about four weeks, all right? So that'll be fun there as well. Cornerofthegalaxy.com, where you can find all of our podcasts, articles, all that fun stuff. All right. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.